The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. All these homilies are the same in content as those preached. They have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance, and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. In today's Gospel, we are presented with two starkly contrasting figures, each headed in opposite directions. First, we have the Pharisee, who is quite the man. You pretty much know all you need to know about this guy in the first 14 words that he speaks. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity. Who says that? I am not like the rest of humanity, or like the tax collector, who was apparently considered subhuman by the Pharisee. The Pharisees were super rule keepers that wanted the Jews separated from Romans and all Gentiles. They wanted all Jews to follow scrupulously dietary, cleansing, and other rules and laws. They looked down on those that did not. They loved to judge others and they were at strict odds with Jesus' inclusive and merciful message. While they were no doubt well-intended in the beginning, in his time, Jesus challenged many of them regarding their hypocrisy. We can probably think of some Christians and Catholics who may share some of the traits of the Pharisees. Maybe upon close examination, we may find that we share some of them ourselves. But in this story, the Pharisee is the good guy gone wrong. The tax collector, on the other hand, is the traditional bad guy by the standards of the day. And even though many of us have no problem viewing the IRS in a negative way, the tax collector in the day of Jesus was unpopular for more reasons than simply that he wanted your tax money. Tax collectors were despised, particularly by the Pharisees, for three basic reasons. One, they dealt routinely with Gentiles, Romans, which made them ritually unclean. Two, they supported the Roman occupation by collecting taxes which undermined the pursuit of Jewish independence. And three, in some cases they were known to rip off the people by demanding more than their fair commission on the taxes they collected. But in spite of this unpopular job, here is the tax collector in the temple, humbly in the back row, head bowed, asking God for forgiveness and repenting of whatever wrong he may have done. The tax collector is the bad guy gone right. 
What makes the difference? And what might we learn from it? The Pharisee, forgetting for a moment the hypocrisy and judgmental attitude, is a rule keeper. He wants to keep rules for rules' sake. He derives pleasure from following the rules and criticizing those that don't. The problem for him and those like him is that when you get focused on the rules, sometimes you end up following the less important rules at the expense of the more important ones. Where does love your neighbor as yourself fit in with thank you, I am not like the rest of humanity, turning in effect a prayer of thanksgiving to God into a sin? Even though he is standing in the temple, a fasting and a tithing, he is still far from God because he has put rules before relationship. Now the tax collector, on the other hand, while he struggles in a difficult and unpopular job, is responding to God's call in his life by repentance and seeking mercy as the path to the relationship that God is calling him to. Many Catholics struggle with their faith as a result of getting this rules versus relationship issue out of order. With all the best of intentions, many of us were raised with a greater emphasis on keeping the rules than on entering into a living, breathing, feeling, personal relationship with Jesus. The problem with this approach is, by the time we reach the age of independence, we are surrounded by a world that pounds and surrounds us with a message that is contrary to the rules and the relationship. If we only have the rules to fall back on, we often fail or compromise and end up with neither. But if we have entered into the relationship with Jesus we were designed for, then our lives are changed and we are empowered and connected to the one who conquered the world. Now, let me be absolutely clear. I am not saying that the rules don't matter or are unimportant. God would not have given us commandments unless they were for our good. And they serve us in two ways. First, they are the way we are to live while we seek and develop a closer relationship with God. They give us God's instruction as we make choices about how to exercise our free will. Secondly, they help us to form our conscience so that we are aware of our sinfulness and can repent of the ways we have separated ourselves from God. The key is not that we have to obey the commandments, which we must do, but why we obey them. Maybe it will help if we think about our other relationships. When we meet people, if we are smart, we conduct ourselves according to the rules of good conduct. We are polite. We listen when they talk. We speak in a considerate tone and manner. Maintain eye contact. Don't interrupt, etc. We do this even with people we have just met because they are the rules of good social conduct. We don't do it because of any particular feeling for the person with whom we don't have a relationship. But when we meet someone and fall in love with them, we no longer conduct ourselves in a certain way because of the rules of etiquette, but because we love them. We don't act out ways of love for those we love because there are rules. We act in a loving way because we love. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we obey not simply because we are commanded to, but because God loves us and we love him. The obedience is an outgrowth of the love, not simply compliance with authority. Why do we care for our wife, 
husband, children. Because the rules say we should, or because we love them and want what is best for them. Because we want to feed and nourish our relationship, not because someone said this is how it should be. In the reading from Sirach, it says, the one who serves God willingly is heard. In Timothy, we hear that the Lord will award the crown of righteousness not only to Paul, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Who does this? Who serves willingly? Who longs for his appearance? People who know God's rules or people who are in love with God? When we fall in love with God, then our motivation to live as he calls us to comes not from the reward for rule compliance, but from the heart of our love for God. Our service becomes an act out of love for God, and our thoughts of the future change from a fear of the end of life to the anticipation of eternal life with the one we love. It also motivates us in bigger and better ways to avoid sin that can harm this most valued relationship. I don't know about you, but I rarely come up with new sins in confession. Usually I hear myself confessing sins that have a familiar ring to them. And if I am repeating them, am I really trying to avoid them? I will offer two examples. The first is the sin of gossip. I think many of us may find that sin on our list. We may struggle with this as a repeated sin due to circumstances we find ourselves in, at work, or in the neighborhood, or wherever. Let's say we regularly have coffee with a certain group, and that group from time to time gossips about someone or thing. We may, in spite of our good intentions, be drawn into that gossip. We hope that when it occurs, we will be able to change the subject or walk away. But the truth is that it is not always easy to do, and we can be drawn into it and repeatedly commit that sin. The second instance involves the internet and images that may draw us into the sin of lust or impure thoughts. Some sports or other innocent websites that appeal to a predominantly male audience frequently carry teaser ads or images that invite the sports enthusiast to look at some sexually suggestive article or feature. Even though a person might simply want to read about the game, they occasionally, in a moment of weakness, click on one of these links and soon find themselves committing a sin of impurity, whether in thought or action. Once again, we hope that when we see these tempting links, we will simply ignore them and continue reading about the game. But that is also not always easy, and we can be drawn into repeating such a sin. We justify continuing to have coffee with this group or using this sports site because we hope that those areas of temptation don't present themselves, and if they do, we hope we will resist them. When we fall in love with God, He becomes the most important thing in our life, and avoiding sin becomes our number one priority. The difference being that we seek complete detachment from sin, and instead of hoping we can resist the temptation, we stop having coffee with that group and stop going to that sports site. The desire to avoid the sin overpowers the social repercussions or the inconvenience of the change. If the rules were the means to salvation, the rule keepers, the Pharisees, were already here, and Jesus could have stayed home in heaven. But if the relationship is the key, 
Isn't that why Jesus became man? So he could touch us personally, teach us personally, die on the cross for us personally, give himself to us in the Eucharist personally. Paul didn't say God related to him from afar, but that the Lord stood by him and gave him strength. And so he will stand by us if we ask him to rescue us from every evil threat and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. Send questions or comments regarding this podcast to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.